All right. Good evening, everyone. Let let us begin. So we're gonna do something a little bit different this evening, Emir Hashem. That I know last week we started Kapitol Lamid Mizmor Shir Chanukah Sabayis Ludavid, and I promised you a tie into Chanukah. But Emir Hashem, we're actually gonna just go full into Chanukah, Emir Hashem, this year in preparation, Emir Hashem, for Yom Tiv and. I'll speak about the schedule in the coming weeks, but we'll continue with Kapitol Lamed, Emir Hashem, when we restart actual Sefer Tehillim. So I want to draw your attention tonight. First of all, our shir tonight is dedicated by the Engelsberg, Dinovitzer, and Steinberg families. Le'iloi Nishmas Harad Yitzchak David Ben Meir Aryeh Zichron Levracha. Hope that in the merit of our Talmud Torah, the Nisham will and the families in Nechama. So I want to share with you something really incredible. We'll start with a little bit of halacha. And then, you, you know, in general, it's just an important, an important introduction. Often we misunderstand the role of halacha in Yiddishkeit. So we often assume that the role of halacha is to tell us what to do and what not to do. Now, of course, that's absolutely unequivocally correct. Halacha teaches us how to live our lives. But the incredible part of halacha is that embedded within the legal technicalities are the incredible hashkafas of Judaism as well. So when Chazal codified halacha, halacha is the way that we also learn the moral ethical implications of anything and everything within Judaism. And this is incredibly important. You know, in the world of learning, they say when you learn halacha, you can learn halacha yevesha. So halacha yevesha means... Try halacha. And dry halacha is do this, don't do that. This is kosher, this is treif, this is tame, this is tar, which is important, which is important. But when you begin to go ahead and look beneath the surface, you begin to see that Chazal taught us so many incredible lessons embedded within the halacha. So I want to show you an example of that tonight. Take a look at the Rambam. So the Rambam number one says as follows. Mitzvah ner Chanukah, mitzvah chaviva hi ad ma'od. The mitzvah of ner Chanukah is a very special mitzvah. V'tzarech adam lehi zarba k'dei lehodiyah hanes. And the Ramam's wording over here is very beautiful. And a person has to be very careful with the mitzvah of Ner Chanukah in order to go ahead and publicize the miracle and to praise HaKadosh Baruch Hu for all of the miracles that he has done for us. Now, what I want to point out to you is something really incredible because there's something magnificent already embedded in this Ramban. You see... We often think that the mitzvah, how do you fulfill the mitzvah, how do you fulfill the mitzvah of Hanukkah? How do you fulfill the mitzvah of Ner Hanukkah? What do you have to do? You light the menorah. Anything else? Eat latkes, right? Good, that's a famous one. Right, latkes, donuts, depending on how from you are. Good, both, if you're very from. Alanisim, right, there's a concept of, there's a concept of halal v'hodah. But here's what's fascinating. If you look at the Rambam, look how the Rambam describes the mitzvah of Ner Hanukkah. He says a person has to be very careful with the mitzvah of Ner Hanes to publicize the miracle. And to thank Hashem for the miracles that He has performed for us. Now what's unique about the wording of the Rambam? Miracles, plural. If you were writing this, how would you write it? Miracle, singular. What miracle are we talking about? The miracle of Hanukkah. Even though Hanukkah itself has multiple miracles. Remember again, there's the military victory. There's the rededication of the Beis HaMikdash. There is the Pach Shem and the Cruise of War that remain lit. But what the Ramam is saying is something absolutely amazing. Do you think the whole point of Hanukkah is just to kindle a menorah every night and that's it? First of all, even just think about this on a basic level. Hanukkah is not the best miracle we've had. 
right? We are a people of miracles. And the truth is, if you think about Hanukkah, Hanukkah doesn't even rank in the top 10. I mean, it is, is it incredible that a little thing of oil, that a little thing of oil remained lit for eight days? Sure, it's very neat, right? De- definitely, very interesting. Is it like the most incredible miracle? I don't know, HaKadosh Baruch who sustained us with man, three and a half million people got divine room service each and every day, right? You got man each and every day, every man, woman, and child. There was a rock that provided us with water in the Zechus of Miriam. There were clouds. Now the truth is we have Yamim Tovim and different things to these things, but the fact that, remember the Gemara says, the fact that oil burns all together is something miraculous, right? We take it for granted that you take oil, you put a wick in there, you light it, and it burns. Why? Because Kishbaruch who said it should be that way. So the same God who says that oil burned decided this time that oil should have burned for eight days. What the Ramam is saying is something so incredibly amazing. Hanukkah is a springboard to become appreciative of the miracles of everyday life. You see, Hanukkah is a unique time. Why? Because you, you, what, what's the challenge of Hanukkah? Let's be honest, right? What's the challenge of Hanukkah? The challenge of Hanukkah is the fact that you pretty much maintain your activities of daily living, right? In other words, I'm going to work. I'm doing my thing. I come home. I like candles. It's very nice. But the truth is, like, from a yumptive perspective... It's very hard. In fact, I would think very often one of the challenges of Hanukkah is you like the menorah. And as much as you would like to perhaps bask in the light for hours upon hours on end, there are other tasks that need to be dealt with. Hanukkah is not a fully immersive spiritual experience. But that's exactly the point. The whole point of Hanukkah is to open our eyes to the miracles which are all around us Every single day. And the goal is to see the miracles in mundane, ordinary life. You know, to see the miracles on Shabbos, to see the miracles on Yom Tiv, that's great, but that's much easier. We say in Modim, every single day in Shemona Esrei, we thank Hashem, imanu. we thank Hashem for the miracles that He performs for us every single day. Do we take stock of those miracles? Do we ever stop for a moment, ever stop for a moment to say, what miracles did HaKadosh Baruch Hu do for me today? Big miracles, small miracles, ordinary miracles, convenience miracles. They're all around us. They're all around us. It's just often we don't reflect on them. And the reason why this is such a terrible thing that we don't reflect on them is because often, because we don't think about the daily miracles, our lives often become colored by our challenges. You see, I, I would invite you to try the following experiment. On any given day, take out a piece of paper, make two columns. Challenges, miracles. I'm not a betting man, but if I was, your miracles would always outweigh your challenges. Now, it doesn't mean the challenges go away. And it doesn't mean the challenges are negated by the miracles. The challenges of life, we've done enough of Sefer Tillam to know the challenges of life are the challenges of life, right? And good things don't cancel out negative or, or challenging things. They all exist. But on any given day, life is sold with so many dramatic miracles and so many beautiful little events that often we don't even take stock of. Says the Rambam, that's Hanukkah. Hanukkah is not about the Pach Shemen. The Pach Shemen, the cruise of oil, the jug of oil, that is a springboard. See, everyone sees the miraculous nature of a little bit of oil remaining lit for eight days. That's the springboard that is quite literally to open my eyes, is to illuminate my vision to be able to see the miracles of everyday life. That is the avoda of Hanukkah. 
Every Yom Tiv has an Avodah. Chanukah is the Yom Tiv of gratitude. It is the Yom Tiv of miracles. How do you know if you had a good Chanukah? How do you know if you had a good Chanukah? It's not about the gifts you get, right? How do you know you had a good Chanukah? If at the end of eight days, you look around and you see miracles everywhere, that's a good Chanukah. That means that I've worked on myself to see the beautiful Pach Shemens of life that are all around me all the time. But the Ramam then goes on. And this is the part I want to focus on. He says, look at the underlying line in number one. Let's say a person is impoverished. person has no money. And literally they're supported by charity. So what's the halacha? Shoel o mocher kisuso velokeach shemen veneros umadlik. So even if you have no money, the Rambam says, and you're supported by charity, nevertheless, you should go ahead and borrow money. Mocher kisuso. Mocher kisuso means sell your clothing. Sell your clothing. Right? So borrow money, sell your clothing in order to go ahead and purchase oil or purchase candles for near Hanukkah. So I just want to point out, this is not like a metaphorical statement. The Ramam is a book of halacha. So Ramam is telling me a halacha that I have to make sure to kindle Neros Hanukkah no matter what. And even if it literally means selling the shirt off my back, even if it literally means going ahead and borrowing money, I am obligated to go to that extent to fulfill the mitzvah of Ner Hanukkah. Now, this is incredibly dramatic and unique. Why is it dramatic and unique? Number one, number one, what kind of mitzvah is Ner Hanukkah? It's a drabanan, it's a rabbinic mitzvah. Never, ever do we find that there is such an obligation to go to such an extent for a rabbinic mitzvah. Not only that, we don't even have an obligation to go to such an, ex- to such an extent for biblical mitzvahs. If you take a look at number two, the Shulchan Aruch writes jumping, writes, jumping a little bit to Sukkis, the Ramah writes, Umisha'in lo esrog, oshar mitzvah overes, ain't sarich levazvez alea hon rav. Shulchan Aruch says, if you don't have an esrog, you don't have to spend all of your money getting an esrog. You don't have to spend an exorbitant amount of money getting an esrog. Again, a Jew is obligated to live in the world of reality. So I have to try to get an esrog. I have to try to get a nice esrog. But if it's an exorbitant amount of money, I'm not obligated to go out and start borrowing money. I'm certainly not obligated to sell the clothing off my back to be able to purchase an esrog. Not only that, but the Shulchan writes, Kimosha Amru, HaMevazvez, Agyevazvez, Yosem Yichomesh. Remember again, the halacha is, this is part of the mitzvah, halacha of mitzvah tzedakah. We're, we are obviously supposed to be charitable and incredibly generous individuals. However, there is a cap on the maximum amount of tzedakah that a person is permitted to give. person is never permitted to give away more than one-fifth, 20% of their wealth. For one simple reason, Chazal did not want us to impoverish ourselves in the pursuit of becoming charitable people. Again, that's counterintuitive. If by being so charitable, I impoverish myself, I'm creating more problems than I am fixing. So you see the Shulchan Aruch says that there's a spending cap. If you can't find an esrik, you don't have to spend all your money. And even in general, spending money on mitzvot, never more than 20%, never more than a fifth. And yet, and yet, when it comes to Ner Hanukkah, the Rambam says explicitly, do whatever you have to do. You're supported by charity, borrow more money. You can't borrow money, sell off whatever meager possessions you may have. Do whatever you have to do in order to fulfill the mitzvah of Ner Hanukkah. And the question becomes, how do we understand this? Why? Why? What, what is so special about Ner Hanukkah 
that requires us to go to these extremes. So if you take a look at number three, so the Magid Mishnah writes, we're not going to go through this, like a lot of lambdas, like a lot of deep intellectual halacha conversations over here, which is not our topic for tonight, but I will just say something interesting. If you look in the underlined line in the Magid Mishnah, Magid Mishnah is a commentary on the Rambam. He writes, Vatam Mishum Persume Nisa. The reason that I have to go to such an extent for the mitzvah of Nechanaka is because of Persume Nisa. Persume Nisa means publicizing a miracle. You see, Hanukkah, Hanukkah has two parts to it, right? There's the private Hanukkah and there is the public Hanukkah, right? Remember, again, we're not used to this in the diaspora because diaspora Hanukkah has fundamentally changed over the generations. But if you've ever been in Eretz Yisrael for Hanukkah, you know, again, most, in most places, they're lighting outdoors, Right, the mitzvah of Ner Hanukkah is actually again outdoors. The, the real, which is interesting because it sounds so antithetical to those of us who have grown up in the diaspora. Because remember, if your menorah is outside, everyone gets to see it except who? Except you, right? So it's interesting. You're out there. You're going to sing your Haneros Halalu, your most. Or you stand there for a few minutes and you go inside to eat dinner. You know, so it's just, it's, it's fascinating. It's fascinating, which is totally different than the way we observe Hanukkah here in the diaspora. But in its essence, but it's even in diaspora, where primarily our lighting is done for the inside, we nevertheless try to position our menorah in a way that publicizes the miracle. The Magid Mishnah posits that any mitzvah that has a public display has an additional component of Kiddush Hashem, has an additional component of sanctification of God's name. I think I mentioned this last year. You know, whenever we think about Kiddush Hashem, we always think about what? Dying, right? Dying al Kiddush Hashem. You know, Rabbi Salavichik Zechetzat said, Dying al Kiddush Hashem is easy. Because you only have to do it once. Living Al-Kiddush Hashem is much more complicated because that becomes a day-to-day struggle. So the Magid Mishnah explains any mitzvah that has an element of publicity to it also has an element of Kiddush Hashem, sanctification of God's name. And because we're now dealing not just with a mitzvah, but with Kiddush Hashem sanctifying God's name, therefore you have to do whatever is within your power to fulfill this particular mitzvah. Just as an aside, by the way, a little bit of interesting information, there is one other rabbinic mitzvah where the Rambam says that you have to go ahead and borrow from tzedakah or sell the shirt off your back to fulfill it. Which mitzvah is it? Dalit Kosos, the mitzvah of four cups of wine at the Seder, which is also rabbinic. But again, the common denominator between their Hanukkah and Dalit Kosos is Dalit Kosos, the four cups, is also an element of Pirsumenisa publicizing the miracle. We're publicizing our freedom. In this case, I'm publicizing it to everyone else who's at my Seder table. But there's a publicity element. And what the Ramam teaches us is that wherever there's a publicity element, that is a fulfillment of Kiddush Hashem, sanctification of God's name. And whenever you have an opportunity to sanctify God's name, I have to do whatever is within my power to make that happen. Okay, an interesting technical idea. But let's perhaps explore a little bit more from a hashkafic perspective what the halacha is trying to convey to us. So I'll show you something amazing. Take a look at number four. So the Gemara Masech Shabbos says as follows. The Gemara says, Zosomeres, Ner Chanukah, Mitzvah Lahanicha Besoch Asara. Quite a fascinating Gemara. The Mitzvah of Ner Chanukah, the Mitzvah is to go ahead and to place it within 
Ten Tfachim. So just to appreciate what this means, let's, for, for argument's sake, let's call a tefach three inches. Tefach is three inches. So the Gemara says, when placing the menorah, one should really place the menorah within three feet of the ground. So you're really placing your menorah. Now again, remember, the Gemara here is talking about what they do in Eretz Yisrael. So we're lighting it outdoors. Lighting it outdoors. When you light it outdoors by the doorway, you should put it within three feet of the ground. Very low. What we call lamata miyud. Less than ten tfachim. Okay. So it's why? Why do I have to put it less than ten tfachim? So the Rosh, Rabbeinu Asher, who was one of the earliest codifiers of halacha, writes as follows. He explains, because here's the problem. If you go ahead and you place a menorah outside of your home, what could it possibly look like? What could it look like? Why, why are you placing a menorah outside of your home? For light, for illumination purposes. And of course, again, remember, Ner Hanukkah is a Ner Mitzvah. It is a Mitzvah light. Therefore, again, we don't use it for any mundane purposes. So the Rush says what we do is we purposely put it low down to the ground. So this way, again, it's not really a useful light for illumination, right? If something is going to be useful for light during the nighttime, it has to be positioned a little bit higher. We purposely put it low so no one should think that this is a light of illumination. It's not a utilitarian light. Rather, again, it is simply a light of a mitzvah. But watch this. Take a look at number six. The Gemara Masech Hesukah says something amazing. The Gemara Masech Hesukah says, Tanya, Rabbi Yossi Omer, Me'olam lo yarda shechina lemata, velo alu Moshe ve'elio lemarom. Shene emar, ha-shamayim shamayim la-Hashem, v'ya'aretz na-san livnei adam. The Gemara says, the shechina, the divine presence, never comes down to this world. Never comes down to this world, nor can any mortal ever ascend to the celestial sphere. So the Shamayim, the heavens, those belong to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, man doesn't enter there. The earth belongs to man. HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't enter the earth, doesn't come down to the earth. So the Gemara says, really? The Shekhinah never came down to the earth? The Pasik says, Hashem came down on Har Sinai. Not only that, by the way, but remember again, in the Beis HaMikdash, was the Shekhinah present in the Beis HaMikdash? Absolutely. Where? Where? Between the Kruvim. Remember again, on the lid of the Ark, on the lid of the Aron, there are two cherub-like figures. As Machlokes, was it, the, was it the image of two little boys, a little boy and a little girl? Two cherub-like figures, and the Shekhinah resided right in between those two figures. So you must, what do you mean the Shekhinah never came down to the world? To which the Gemara says, Watch this. The Shekhinah, the Divine Presence, comes down to the world. But the Divine Presence never dips below 10 Tfachim. So the Shekhinah will come down, Shekhinah will come down, but never less than 10 Tfachim. So that's why when the Gemara says, the Shekhinah never came down to the world, it means the Shekhinah, whatever this means, never comes down to the ground. Never comes down to the ground. The Shekhinah will hover. Right, the lowest it'll come down is it'll hover at ten tefachim, absolutely no lower. Very intriguing. Very intriguing. So we have the shechina never going below ten tefachim. One more gemara, then we're going to tie it together. Look at number seven. Gemara Maseches Brachas. I'm Rav Hamuna. My dechsev davar. What is the meaning of the pasuk? And the pasuk says, "Who is wise? Who is wise like God? And who knows how to make pshara?" Right, a compromise. Mika Kadish Parahu Sheodea Lasos Pshara Bench Nate Sadikim. 
who is like Hashem, who knows how to create a compromise, conflict resolution between two righteous people. Who are the two righteous people? Between Chizkiyo and Yeshayo. Chizkiyo and Yeshayo had a falling out. Right? They had a falling out. Chizkiyo was the king. Again, a tie-in to Sefer Tillim. He's David Amalek's great-great-grandson. So, right, Chizkiyo is the king, Melech Yehuda. And Yeshayo, Isaiah, Yeshayo is the prophet. They did not get along. They, sometimes even great people don't get along with other people. They, they, they did not get along. So remember again, just to give you a little bit of background. So why didn't they get along? So this is incredible. Why didn't they get along? Nine out of ten times, why don't people get along? Why don't people get along? Ego. Excellent, whoever said it, right? Is that Mrs. Pollock, right? Ego, ego, right? Ego, at the end of the day, ego. E- ego gets in the way of, you see, it's never about ego. It's always about principles, right? right? Just like it's never the money, it's the principle. It's always the money, right? And it's, and it's never, it's never the principle. It's always the ego. And the truth is, great people have egos also. Everyone has, everyone has ego. By the way, I want to point out, we often speak about ego like ego is a bad word. Ego is, not, ego is very important. A healthy sense of self, healthy ego is good. Inflated ego is when you get yourself into trouble. So listen to what's happening over here. Yeshayo says, I'm the prophet. The king should come to me. Chizkyo says, I'm the king. I'm the king. The prophet should come to me. Now just so you understand who we're talking about over here. We're talking about Yeshayo. Yeshayo, one of the greatest prophets of all time. Chizkyo. Who is Chizkyo? The Gemara says, Chizkyo could have been the Mashiach. He could have been the Mashiach. Remember again, the Gemara says, during times of Chizkiyo, every man, woman, and child knew all of the halachos of Tumantara, knew all of the halachos of ritual purity and impurity, which are some of the hardest and most intricate halachos in our entire system of, of law, of, legal, of, of our legal system. During the times of Chizkiyo was a tzaddik. Yeshayo was a tzaddik. Remember again, what happens to Chizkiyo? Why does Chizkiyo become Mashiach? Why not? He refused to marry. He refused to marry. Why did he refuse to marry? Because he saw prophetically that if he were to marry and have a son, his son would be a Russia. His son would be wicked. And so he made the conscious decision to refrain from getting married in order not to bring a wicked child, a wicked son into this world. So that story is important. What happens? So remember again, so now you have Yishayo and Chizkiyo locked in this, in this clash of egos. Chizkiyo, I'm the king, the prophet should come to me. Yishayo, I'm the, Yishayo, I'm the prophet, the king should come to me. What does HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the great Pshara maker, right? The great compromise effector, what did he do? So, Ma'asa HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Hevi Yisurim al Chizkiyo, V'amrlo li Yishayo, Leich u'bekara sachol. Shnei Amar, so listen to this. So what does Baruch do? HaKadosh Baruch Hu made Chizkiyo sick. Chizkiyo sick. And he told Yishayo, now you have a mitzvah of what? Bigger cholim. You see, the amazing part about the Jewish people is that even when we hate each other, right? If HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells me to do something, I'm going to do it, right? I'm not going to, I'm not going to disobey HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So, which also is just such a fascinating idea. You see, Yishayo is willing to go to Chizkiyo. I'm sorry. Yes, willing to go to Chizkiyo because now Chizkiyo is a chola. He's sick. He's sick. 
So because he's sick, now he's like an object of a mitzvah. I'll go to perform the mitzvah of Biker Cholim. I just want to tell you something amazing. You see from here, just so many lessons and all of these ideas. The Ribbon Shal Olam is the master of conflict resolution. Why? This is very important to know because everyone engages in conflict resolution in one way or another. How do you affect proper conflict resolution? No one could be made to feel like they've lost. The moment that one party feels that they've lost, they walk away aggrieved. Sakhalish Baruch could have said, Yishayo, come on, get it together. Get it together. What are you doing? You're the problem. Or he could have said, Chizkyo, get it together. Instead, what does he do? He allows everyone to save face. Chizkyo gets sick. He can't come. He's sick. Yishayo has a mitzvah of Biker Cholim. It's not that I'm giving in to Chizkyo. I'm performing a mitzvah. Often when you're trying to affect conflict resolution, if you, if, you, if you address it or if you approach it as there's going to be a winner, there's going to be a loser, you usually have two losers. But if you try to make everyone a winner and try to allow everyone to emerge from the conflict with their head held high, their sense of dignity and ego intact, you really have an opportunity to affect real shalom. By the way, this is, an, is one more aside on the aside on the tangent, which is also, by the way, one of the most important concepts that often adults miss, which is in life, it is so much more important to be happy than it is to be right. As adults, we blow this all the time, right? Children, amazingly enough, know this, right? Ch- children understand this. Right? It's, it's, uh, you know, Mashal, I once heard about this, but you know, a child could have a complete meltdown about anything, right? Anything. What happens? What happens? Give the child a piece of chocolate or, or an ice cream cone, and what happens? Mamish, like Mashiach came. Everything is wonderful. Life is fantastic. Because children care much more about being happy than being right. Adults often fall into the trap. I am right. I was, especially, by the way, if I was wronged by someone, if I was wronged by someone to recreate a relationship or to make overtures or to try to make shal. No, no, I'm right. I'm right. That person was wrong. Do you know how many miserable people walk around this world? They're right. They're, they're right. They're always right. But they're just miserable. They're steeped in a constant state of misery because they've chosen to put being right over above being happy. We all do it. We all do it. Some of us do it in very severe ways that really complicates our happiness in some significant ways. If we only found the courage, then I'd have to be right. To be self-assured enough to know, I don't have to be right. I don't have to be right. It's more important to be happy, which is incredible because what Kashbaruch is doing over here is He's just saying, Chizkiyo, Yishayo, at the end of the day, I'm not gonna, I don't want either of you to feel like you lost. And therefore, again, what we're going to do is, Chizkiyo, you're going to get sick. Yishayo, come to do bigger Cholim. By the way, the context of this, just one more piece, just the context, and then we'll, we'll, we'll move on. The context of this is, why did Chizkiyo get sick? His getting sick was a punishment for his refusal to get married. His refusal to get married. He refused to get married. He's punished for that decision. So remember, we've, we've, I've quoted this Gemara in the context of Sefer Tillim in, in past years. So remember, again, the rest of the Gemara, I didn't include it on the sheet, but the rest of the Gemara is, Yishayo shows up to Chizkyo, and he says, Chizkyo, you're going to die. Now, not the best bigger cholim etiquette, right? right? You're, sorry, you're going to die. And Chizkyo says, why? Yishayo says, because you refused to marry. You refused. 
So Chizkiyos says, one second, you know why I refuse to marry? Because I saw that I'm going to have a son who's going to be a terrible Rasha. To which Yeshua responds, Don't get involved in God's plans. That, that's not for you to decide. Your job is to find a wife, to try to have a family, and that's it. What happens after that is up to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So Chizkiyos says to Yeshua, fine, you have a single daughter. Could I marry your daughter? So Yeshua says, I already told you, you're going to die. I thought you were going to die. There's, there's no point in that. So here's amazing. And here's our Sefer Tillin tie-in. Chizkiyot says, you know, I have a Masora from my Alter Zayda. I have a Masora. I have a tradition from my great-grandfather, Davin HaMelech. Afilu cherev chada munachas al shal adam. Even if there is a sharp sword resting against the neck of a person, al yimana atzmo mirachamim. Do not stop asking HaKadosh Baruch Hu for compassion. In other words, it's not over till it's over. I might be sick, but I'm not dead yet. And where there's breath, where there's life, ultimately there's hope. Sure enough, what happened? So it's amazing. Yeshayahu was swayed. Chizkiyahu married Yeshayahu's daughter. Chizkiyahu was healed. And they have a son. Their son was named Menashe. Menashe was the longest reigning monarch. He reigned for 55 years. For 33 of those years, he was a terrible, terrible Russia. He tried to become a Balchova. He did become a Balchova for the last 22 years of his reign. But he had broken so many things in the kingdom of Am Yisrael that he was unable to go ahead and take it back. Okay, but why am I sharing this Gemara with you? Because what's interesting about this story over here is how does HaKadosh Baruch Hu bring Chizkiyot and Yeshayahu together? How does he bring them together? Through illness. Because you see, even when two people are locked in, in debate or they're locked in machlokas, if one party becomes ill, the other party becomes compassionate, right? So I might have gotten into a fight with Ruvain, but if Ruvain becomes ill, I'm, I'm not going to continue the machlokas, right? I'm going to go to Ruvain. It's Biker Cholim. There's a mitzvah. I'm going to go to the person who is ill. Chizkiyo does not have fond feelings for Chizkiyo, but Chizkiyo becomes sick. And therefore, again, Yeshayahu goes to visit. The Maral writes something amazing in number eight. He says, this Gemara has a major national implication. And the Gemara says, Maral says in number eight, in Netzach Yisrael, Cholim vidovim b'choyom ubi Yisrehem kibnei sobagalos hamarazah. Who is as sick as Klal Yisrael? That doesn't sound right, but you'll see what he means in just a moment. Right? Who is as compromised who is as ill as Am Yisrael? Everything we've gone through, everything we've lived through, the Golas, and remember again, so many times, you know, when we speak about Golas, we can't even relate to what Golas really was. Because the Golas that we live in now is a Golas of Baracha. It is a Golas of blessing. But for thousands of years, for over 2,000 years, Klaud Yisrael endured challenge after challenge, adversity after adversity, sickness after sickness. So listen to what the Maharal says. The truth is, we all do things wrong. We all do things wrong. Right? And this is incredibly important to acknowledge. Like Shlomo Melech writes, In tzadik yechta. There is no, even the most righteous of people sin. Everyone sins. So what, let, let's play this out for just a moment. What happens after I commit Navera? So what's the proper procedure? What should happen? What should happen? Right? Tshuva, right? I should go ahead 
and approach HaKadosh Baruch. In other words, I wronged God. I wronged myself as well. So the process of tshuva says, I need to engage HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Right? I need to engage. I need to engage. I did something wrong. It's no different than any other human relationship. You hurt someone. You wrong someone. The obligation of engagement is upon the aggressor, upon the perpetrator. You hurt someone. You have the obligation to engage. I commit an avera. I have an obligation to engage the Ribbono Shalom. That's the Midas Derech Eretz, right? When the servant offends the king, the servant goes and petitions the king for mercy, for, for, for forgiveness. The Kutim writes, Makom, But sometimes we're ill. Sometimes we're ill. You see, the, the difficult thing in life is that sometimes we make such dramatic mistakes that we compromise our own ability to affect change, to affect tshuva. Sometimes I mess up so badly that I'm not even sure exactly how to make my way back. The Maharal uses the metaphor of sickness. You know, there are different forms of illness. Sometimes a person could be ill, but I could go about my activities of, excuse me, of daily living. And sometimes I'm so ill that I'm bed bound and I literally can't do anything for myself. The same is true in spiritual illness. There are times when I make mistakes and I got it. I know what I did wrong and I know how to fix it. I know what I have to do. And then there are times in life when I've messed up so badly that I don't even know where to start. I don't know. I don't know how to go ahead and even engage the king. I don't know how to talk to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. I don't even know how to say I'm sorry. I don't know. And by the way, you see this in human relationships all the time as well. One person hurts another person. And sometimes you know, I hurt someone and I realize like, I really hurt that person. I really hurt that person. And sometimes what people do is they're so overwhelmed by the hurt that they visited upon another human being that what do they do? What do they do? Nothing, nothing, which sounds totally counterintuitive because you would think, well, if I know that I hurt someone and it's clear again, you know, sometimes you hurt someone, but then ah, but they deserved it or they contributed. Sometimes I know I hurt someone. I know I hurt someone. So you think if it's clear that you visited, hurt about someone, of course you engage. Sometimes I'm so overwhelmed by the damage I have caused that I don't even know how to engage. You see now in human relationships, this often compounds the hurt because then the victim, right? The aggrieved party feels that the perpetrator doesn't understand what they did or is not acknowledging or is not owning it because if they would, they would apologize. Sometimes we don't realize is that the perpetrator realizes how badly they've messed up and they're stunted. They're stuck. They're handicapped. They don't know what to do, how to move on, how to apologize. What do I say when I've wronged someone so badly? And it's with the Kaddish Baruch Hu. There are times in life that I mess up so badly. And by the way, it's not, sometimes it's not just one mess up. Sometimes I look back at my life and I realize that for years, for years, I've been messing up. And for years, I've been misfiring. And for years, it's the wrong direction. And I don't even know what to say to Kaddish Baruch Hu. I don't even know what to say. I don't know what to say because the truth is like, I'm embarrassed to say anything. How many times can you say, I'm sorry? 
for the same thing and that sorry still have any meaning? How many promises, I'm not going to do it again, could you make and keep on doing it again and those words have any meaning? And so sometimes writes the Maral, I'm so ill, I'm so ill, I'm so sick, I'm so compromised that I know I should go to the king. I know that's what should happen, but I can't. So what happens in those moments, says the Maral. This is what the Maral writes. He says, Listen to how beautiful this is. So what does the king do when he sees that we're sick? What does he do? He comes to us. The same way that HaKadosh Baruch Hu made the Pshara, made the compromise between Chizkiyahu and Yeshayahu. He makes Chizkiyahu sick, so Yeshayahu got to come. Says the Maral, sons of HaKadosh Baruch Hu sees that I am just too ill, that I am just too compromised, that I'm not going towards him, he comes to me. Isn't it absolutely astounding? The incredible love that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has for us, that I messed up, I messed up, I know I messed up, and I know what, I even know like on some level what I need to, I need to re-engage, but sometimes I'm paralyzed by my mistakes. Sometimes I just, I can't move. I just can't do it. I'm like bed bound. I can't do it. I'm the chola. In those moments of the chola, in those moments, the king comes to the ill patient. The king comes to the chola. So isn't this, it says the maral. That's the metaphor of the gemara. You know, there's a beautiful story. That's Rabbi Shlomo Kalbach told the story. He had a beautiful nigan. I'm not going to sing it for you. Of Melech Rachamon. Right, Melech Rachamon, compassionate king, Rachim Alinu, Tovu Metiv, who is good and bestows good, he darish lanu, seek us out, shuva elenu, come back to us. And Rabshalom composed the beautiful nigun. So they asked, asked him, where did the nigun come from? So he said one time he was traveling in an airport and he saw a teenager, a young man, with a very disheveled look. And he was on a, he was on a payphone. Does everyone know what a payphone is? Okay, good. I'm getting some blanks here from some of the millennials here, right? Right. So they used to have it. You put in a quarter. Good. Right. They, they saw. They saw. They saw this young young man, disheveled look on a payphone, and the young man just starts sobbing, just starts sobbing, and he was able to discern that the young man had run away from home. He was on the phone with his parents, and he just said, "I want to come home," and the parents asked him, "Okay, where are you?" And the kid says, I don't know where I am, but you just have to come and get me. He says, that's what we say in davening, on Yom Melech Rachamon, compassionate king, tovu metiv hidare shlanu, seek us out. What a chutzpah. I'm asking God to seek me out? I should seek God out. You're right. I should seek God out. But there are just times in life where I'm just, I'm done. I'm just done. I can't move forward anymore. I'm overwhelmed. I'm broken. I'm ill. As many, as many words as you want, as many adjectives as you want to put in there. And in those moments, HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, it's okay. I'm going to come for you. I'll come for you. If you're too ill, if you're too broken, if you're too overwhelmed to come to me, I will come to you. And says the sons of something absolutely amazing. Take a look at number nine. Take a look at number nine. This is actually quite beautiful. So what happens? So the sons of said, let's go back for just a moment. Remember again, the Shechina only got, right, the Shechina comes down to earth. It only remains at what? At what? 
10 Tzfachim. Never dips below 10. Yet, interestingly enough, where do you put your Ner Hanukkah? Where do you put your Ner Hanukkah? Lamata Miyud. Beneath 10 Tzfachim. If you take a look at number 9, the Be'er HaChaim quotes from the Sanzarav in the, last, in the left-hand paragraph. Rabbi Chaim, his sons, the Divrei, the Divrei, the Divrei Chaim says, Tahani Mili, so he explains over here that something interestingly enough, there's a difference between Shabbos and Yom Tiv, right? Shabbos, HaKadosh Baruch Hu invites us to be with him, right? Shabbos is an experience of going to Hashem, right? Ultimately, again, Yom Tiv is an experience, Sanzarov says, that Klal Yisrael invites HaKadosh Baruch Hu to us. So Shabbos, we go to Hashem, Yom Tiv Hashem comes to us. The Sanzarov says there's one more experience. That additional dynamic is Chanukah. What happens in Chanukah? Do you know what Ner Chanukah is? Ner Chanukah is I light, I create light. And where am I creating light? Pretty close to the ground. Because says it Rechaim. What Hanukkah highlights is the following dynamic, that sometimes my light is not shining forth. That sometimes my light is not shining on high. Sometimes I'm in a compromised state in life and my light only shines very low to the ground. That's where I'm holding right now in life. I'm lamata miyud. I feel down and out. I feel like I'm not the best version of myself. I feel Compromised, and I don't even know what to do or how to pull myself out of it. And I light my Ner Chanukah, Lamata Miyud. Says the Divrechaim, the Shrina never comes below 10 Tfachim, except when it does. And when does it? The eight days of Chanukah. Chanukah is the only time of the year where the Shrina comes down beneath 10 Tfachim. Chanukah is the only time of year where the Shechina says to us, I'll come get you. Wherever you are, it's okay. It's okay. Kaddish Baruch Hu understands our challenges more than we understand our challenges. And Kaddish Baruch Hu understands our handicaps more than we understand our handicaps. Kaddish Baruch Hu says, it's almost as if, just kind of like, like, like Ner Chanukah is almost like the spiritual flare. Throw up your flare. Show me where you are. Just show me where you are, and I will come and get you. No matter how low you might be. I never go below 10 Tfachim, the Shechina says. But for a Jew, but for a Jew who is broken, for a Jew who needs me, for a Jew who needs a helping hand, I'll come lamata miyut. Says the Divrei This is the power of Chanukah. Chanukah is the Yom Tiv that reminds us that no matter how much I have fallen, no matter how much I've compromised myself, no matter how many wrong turns, bad decisions, or mistakes I have made in life, no one is beyond salvation. No one is beyond repair. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu never gives up on us. And even if I am all the way down at the ground, literally my menorah, my light, I could kindle a little bit of light, but it's, mamish, it's, it's a couple of feet off the ground, HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, no problem, I'll come get you. I'll come get you. Says the Sanzarov, HaKadosh Baruch Hu comes out, look, look at his words. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Mevakir es banav ahuvav, Besoch beis ha'asurim shalahem. HaKadosh Baruch Hu comes 
to get me out, to spring me from my jail. Which jail is that referring to? It's often the prison of our own creation. Because many of us live in a prison, right? We live in a prison of our mistakes. We live in a prison of our failures. We live in a prison of low self-esteem. We live in a prison of low self-worth. We live in a prison where we don't believe in ourselves. And Baruch Hu says, just kindle the light. Just kindle the light. And I'll come lamata miyud. And I'll get you, bless you, and I'll get you wherever you are. And now we begin to understand. See, let's go back for just a moment to what did we speak about 40 minutes ago, right? Remember again, I won't test you, right? But what did we speak about 40 minutes ago? The Rambam says that what do you have to do in order to lighten your Hanukkah? What do you have to do? Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes that you have to do. You need to sell your clothing, sell your clothing. You need to go ahead and sell the shirt off your back, sell the shirt off your back. You need to go ahead and borrow money, borrow money. Why? Because this hashkafa of Ner Hanukkah, this mindset of Ner Hanukkah is so incredibly important. Because think about this. What more important lesson is there in Yiddishkeit than the knowledge that no matter how far I fall, my God will always come for me. That even though, again, I should seek Him out, and even though I should find Him, and I should get myself together, and I should make the journey to Him, in times in life when I can't do that, my Ribbono Shal Olam will come to find me. That same Ribbono Shal Olam made a rule that he never goes he never goes beneath Tent Fachim. Remember, even the lid of the Ark, the lid of the Aron, upon which the Shekhinah was perched, that lid is above Tent Fachim. The Shekhinah never comes down beneath Tent Fachim, except, except when I need him to. If I need him to come to me, because like the Maharal said, I'm a chola. If I need him to come to me because for whatever the reason, I just can't make the journey to him. He comes. Chanukah, the near Chanukah, is lamata miyud. Just throw up the flare. Just do something that a Kaddish Baruch knows, because I have to tell Kaddish Baruch that I want him. I have to indicate somehow that I want him to come and find me. That's the near Chanukah, lamata miyud. Throw up the flare, and the Ribbonu Sholom comes to get us wherever we are. And says the Rambam, this hashkafa, this outlook, this mindset, this theological truth is such a foundation stone that you must light near Hanukkah. So whatever you have to do, whatever you have to sell, whatever you have to pawn, right, whatever you have to borrow, right, you have to light near Hanukkah because a Jew always has to know that no matter how far I fall, even if it's Lamata Miyud, the Shekhinah is always willing to come for me. And the truth is, with this I'll conclude, what's interesting to note is just to tie into the parsha. so you know that Hanukkah always falls out, right, with the parshios of Yosef. It's always the way that it is. So again, sometimes it varies a little bit. It could be Vayeshev, Vayigash, Mikates, right? But again, so like this year it's going to be Right, this is not Shabbos Hanukkah. So it's going to be, it's going to be Mikates, right, Emir Hashem. But it's always a story of Yosef. Always a story of Yosef. If you think about it for a moment, what's the essence of the story of Yosef? What, what, what is, and Yosef's story is one of, one of the most tragic stories, tragic stories in all of Tanakh. What's Yosef's story? Take a look at number 10. The Yosef Hurad Mitzrayma, Vayikneu Potifar Srisparo Sarah Tabachim Ish Mitzri, Miyada Ishmaelim. You know what? This is the first time in the Torah that we ever find something dramatic recorded, which is a human being being sold. 
Never before did we ever find the story of a human being being sold like a piece of property. You see, what happened to Yosef was Yosef was stripped, not only of his clothing, right? We all know when he comes to the brothers, so the brothers take his clothing, not, not just his coat, they remove all of his clothing, they strip him of his clothing, but the clothing was the least of it. They stripped him of his dignity. They stripped him of his identity. They stripped him of his sense of self to the point that Yosef is sold by the brothers to the caravan as an, as an object. And he's sold to Potiphar as an object. And we're familiar with the story. He has to, you know, the wife of Potiphar is constantly trying to seduce him. And in number 11, what happens? He's constantly trying to repel her overtures. And finally, again, one day she gets aggressive with him. She grabbed his clothing. She says to him, sleep with me. So what does Yosef do? What does Yosef do? He, he, he kind of just gets out of his clothing. And he leaves the article of clothing in, in, in her hand. So it's interesting. What is clothing? Clothing creates for us a sense of identity. Yosef is constantly being robbed of his identity. He, brothers take his identity. Potiphar takes his identity. Aisha's Potiphar takes his identity. Everyone tries to make Yosef into an object. And do you know what the greatest accomplishment of Yosef was? That despite it all, he never lost his sense of self. Yosef HaTzadik somehow was able to retain and to hold on to some semblance of identity. Some semblance of self. Despite all of the overwhelming hardship that he underwent. See, what Yosef teaches us is that life could subject you to a lot of different things. But life can't rob you of your identity. Life cannot rob you of your sense of self. You can give away your sense of self. You can abdicate your sense of self. You can give up on your sense of self. But no one could take that from you. That's ultimately the story of Yosef. And this is the connection between Yosef and Hanukkah. Because at the end of the day, why does the Shekhinah come down Lamata Miyud? Right, when I kindle my Ner Hanukkah within three days, why does the Shekhinah come down? Because often in life, even when we see no good in ourselves, HaKadosh Baruch Hu always sees the little cruise of oil. HaKadosh Baruch Hu always sees the little bit of holiness. HaKadosh Baruch Hu always sees the little bit of good that is inside each of us. It may be buried underneath layers and layers of schmutz, but there's good inside each of us. I often can't see it. I can't see it. But HaKadosh Baruch Hu always sees it. When the world looked at Yosef, the brothers saw an object. Potiphar saw an object. Aisha's Potiphar saw an object. The world saw one thing. But Yosef somehow was able to retain some sense of self. Hanukkah is even though we give up on ourselves. Often, I'm not even like Yosef. I can't see my sense of self. But HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the Ribbon Shal Olam, is able to see the good in me even if I've given up on myself a long time ago. And as long as I'm willing to light that candle, as long as I'm willing to send up that divine flare, the true miracle of Hanukkah is that the Shekhinah is willing to go down Lamata Miyud beneath Tentfachen, pick me up, lift me up, dust me off, help me rededicate myself and my life, and start again. This is Hanukkah. 
So we see this is why the Rambam was so incredibly insistent that no matter what you have to do, make sure to light those candles. We should be Zochem Yerat Hashem. You know, as we mentioned before, Hanukkah is a challenging Yom Tiv because the requirements and obligations of day-to-day living don't cease. But we have, now we know what our Avodah is in Yerat Hanukkah. Our Avodah of Hanukkah, Nabi the Rambam told us to cultivate the sense of gratitude through the miracle of the menorah, through the miracle of the Pach Shemen, to take stock every day, every day work on, go, whatever you do, some people have a gratitude journal, other people could, you know, whatever you need to do to, to go ahead and acknowledge the miracles in your everyday life. Use the Pach Shemen as a springboard for the miracles of everyday life. But in addition to that, if you are a person who has given up on yourself, and many of us are, we don't even realize we've given up on ourselves, but often we stop trying. We just stop trying. We stop pushing. We stop advancing. We stop trying to repair broken relationships, right? And that's broken relationships with other people, broken relationships with ourselves, broken relationships with our Hu. We just stop trying. Because often we've thrown in the towel on ourselves. Chanukah is the time where even if you don't have the confidence to lift yourself up, hold out your arms to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It's a struggle. It's really a struggle. There are things in life that are overwhelmingly difficult. And maybe I could do it on my own, but I feel like I can't do it on my own. But I'm going to throw out my flare. I'm going to light my Ne'er Hanukkah. And I have one request, one Hanukkah present from the Ribbon Shalom. It's the best Hanukkah present in the world. The best Hanukkah present is that the Shechina will come down for you. And it'll come down each and every night each and every night, pulling you up a little bit higher, a little bit closer to Him, allowing you to feel a little bit better about yourself. We should be Zolchem Yerat Hashem to feel the Shechina, pull us heavenward. To the Shechina should come down Lamata Miyud, but pull us above Yud. And we should be Zolchem Yerat Hashem to emerge from Chanukah with a renewed sense of self, a renewed sense of confidence, a renewed vigor to live more meaningful and impactful lives, a renewed commitment to repairing broken relationships. You don't have to make them great, but sometimes you could take away the animosity and the negativity. That's what a relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu does. A strong relationship with Hashem allows me to manage the rest of my difficult life relationships. We should be Zohar and Hashem to experience this over the course of Hanukkah. And Halavah, we should be Zohar. That before we get to the last night of Hanukkah, we should be Zohar and Hashem to transition from kindling the eight-branched menorah in our homes Hashem kindling the seven branch menorah in the base Hamikdash Mhirab Yamenu Amen. Just now, just a scheduling announcement. There is no shear for the next two weeks. Um, so Amir Hashem, so Amir Hashem, I believe we pick up again on December 15th. Sound right? I think 14th. December 14th, Amir Hashem is our next year. Wishing everyone a fair Hanukkah.